You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We will pay our debts. How messy is it going to get getting from point A to point B? We don't know yet. I think the Senate is in a place where working in a bipartisan fashion has become more the norm than the exception. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. Raise the debt ceiling, get rid of it altogether, and then talk about the very important issue of spending. We're going to have the first in the nation primary. The Democrats have to figure out what the heck they're doing. I think they realize they've created a big mess. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Joe Biden's move to rewrite the presidential primary calendar may be DOA. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. As Democrats and Republicans in the Granite State band together to block the president's plans, Governor Chris Sununu speaks with Bloomberg News today. We'll have the latest from Bloomberg Politics reporter Ryan Teak Beckwith and from our panel. Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano, along with Matt Gorman, former comms director at the NRCC. Later, the Supreme Court says it failed to find the leaker following an eight-month investigation. Nothing. We'll talk with Bloomberg Supreme Court expert Greg Store on how the leads went dry. President Biden's about to get a letter from some of his closest friends in New Hampshire, home, of course, to the first in the nation presidential primary. Folks, it's primary day in New Hampshire, and I need every one of our supporters across the Granite State to go to the polls. Yeah, then-candidate Joe Biden in 2020 didn't go that well for him, as you might remember. Biden came in fifth place. Campaign was seen in big trouble till he got to South Carolina. And of course, that's what prompted him to move to rewrite the primary calendar for 24, kicking New Hampshire later into the year, moving South Carolina up into first. Reports from Manchester now say a group of Biden's oldest supporters in the state, including former Governor John Lynch, sending the president a letter. It's already in the mail to express how much is at risk for the state and the party. And it's not only Democrats. I spoke today on Balance of Power with Republican Governor Chris Sununu. So it's it's a very uh, bizarre process. And the fact that the Democrats are going to let one of their candidates pick where the first in the nation primary goes, I think they're realizing it was a huge mistake. We'll see where it it ends up. But we're going first, uh, regardless of what Joe Biden thinks or wants. The first in the nation primary is going to be in New Hampshire. Sounds like he means it. But remembering that New Hampshire has a state law mandating that it vote first. So they'll just schedule it a week before anybody else, no matter when. And yes, Sununu wrote his own letter to the DNC. They 
asked me for a letter confirming that I would change the law in the state of New Hampshire. And I wrote a letter back that politely laughed in their face, to be honest. It was just ridiculous. So, and, and the Democrat Party here joined me in that. The Democrat leadership in our congressional delegation, we don't agree on many politics, but we are all in lockstep about what, what needs to happen and what the repercussions of them trying to pull this away are. As you may imagine, the letter is quite a read. I have it here. Sununu says, quote, you can try to come and take it. But that is never period going period to period happen period. He writes, it's just not in our DNA to take orders from Washington. But look, this is not over. Bloomberg National political reporter Ryan T. Beckwith reporting on the terminal now. The DNC Black Caucus is backing the president's proposed changes. Of course, part of the argument was to increase diversity. New Hampshire is a small white state. Of course, this is also the state that helped to make Joe Biden president. Ryan's with us right now, as a matter of fact. Thanks for being here. Great piece, Ryan. The DNC meets on this next month. How will it actually be decided? I mean, to be honest, it's already decided. Now, I know some of the people that I talk to don't want me to say that, <laughs> but there's a very, very little chance that New Hampshire Democrats are going to be able to stop this. And to be clear, they're still going to have the first Republican primary in the country. And that is going to give the Republican field kind of the the run of the place, really, because even if the Democratic primary is held at the same time, um, the state will most likely be stripped of its delegates. Anyone participating in the New Hampshire Democratic primary may be barred from the debate stage or face other repercussions. So on the Democratic side, it'll be a wash and all eyes will be on the Republican side. Now, to be fair, in 2024, that was going to be the case anyways. We really don't expect there to be a serious challenge to Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Um, But the Democrats in the state, you know, their argument is is the DNC could bar its top spokespeople from coming during the primary um, if it's held as expected uh, outside the rules. Um, so that would give Republicans really just, you know, free reign of the state to be aggressively campaigning. And yeah. Democrats in the state worry that that would give them a leg up when it comes to the general election. Right. This is why all these letters are going in the mail, apparently. But what about the state law, Ryan? New Hampshire says, fine, DNC can penalize us, but we're holding a primary the week before South Carolina, even if it's on Christmas morning. What stops them from doing that? Uh, I mean, nothing stops them from doing that. It just doesn't have to be recognized. The, um, the DNC rules say very clearly that if you hold a primary that's not uh, in accordance with its rules, that it can ignore it. Now, this happened before, if you recall, in Michigan. Um, there was a there was a similar sort of uh, kerfuffle. Yeah, they were it, punished. They, they cut the delegates in half. Right. And uh, and still, it ended up there being some campaigning in the state. Uh, in, in 2016, in spite of that. In in this case, they're more likely to go even further and just completely, there would just be zero delegates to be won uh, mm-hmm. from it. You know, the, the members of the state would still get to go to the convention, but they wouldn't be counted wouldn't towards count. wow. who the presidential uh, nominee is. So there'll be a, a, just a, a broad DNC membership vote on this. Is that how it comes? It'll be a one-day affair? Yes. Now, it's already happened that the Rules and Bylaws Committee, which was where the real fight was, passed this. And it was kind of preordained because what they did was they passed a thing saying that they were removing Iowa. You may have remembered that. 
But they at the same time said New Hampshire also has to change its voting laws to allow early mm-hmm. in-person voting. Mm-hmm. And uh, New Hampshire, of course, has a Republican governor. And He's Republican, not moving on that. Republicans control both chambers of the legislature, and they've just said basically no. Now, I, I point out that not just said no, but that I think um, uh, Governor Sununu's response, uh, in, <laughs> particularly in that audio clip you played, yeah. uh, may be more of a Republican primary moment uh, than a Democratic primary moment uh-huh. because – uh, he certainly seemed to relish the opportunity to uh, stick it to Joe Biden and talk about how, you know, fiercely independent he is. And he would certainly be someone who might be a contender for the Republican nomination down the road. We'll see. Fine, Ryan, story on the terminals. Great to have you back. Ryan Teak back with Bloomberg National Political Reporter to get things rolling on the fastest hour in politics as we assemble the panel. I want to hear what everyone has to think about this. Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano is joined today by Matt Gorman, vice president at Targeted Victory, former NRCC comms director. And that's important for this particular conversation. Of course, that's the National Republican Congressional Committee, which is tasked with works to elect Republicans to the U.S. House. So obviously, Matt has a bit of experience here with elections. Welcome to both of you. Listen again to Chris Sununu in our conversation today on Bloomberg TV and radio, I asked him about a couple of these things that Ryan just said. Are we going to be in a world in which there's a separate Republican and Democratic prime? There's going to be two different dates. We all go back to Manchester, New Hampshire, for real. And what if the Democratic primary took place and Joe Biden didn't show up? Um, it, it could be. I think, again, I think the Democrats have made a huge mistake and they're realizing what an error that would be and what a missed opportunity that would be for them. Uh, I think what you're going to likely see happen is if they don't change anything, look, Democrats are going to challenge Joe Biden. I mean, there's no question about that. Uh, I think, uh, I just don't, don't believe, and I think a lot of folks don't believe that the left-wing progressive part of the party is going to let Joe Joe Biden just sit in there for another six years and hope for the best. No, they're not going to do that. So you're going to have candidates coming to New Hampshire as Democrats, getting all that free media, all that time, uh, likely winning this state without Joe Biden on the ballot. Jeannie Shanzano, is Joe Biden going back to New Hampshire here or not? What's going to happen when the DNC decides next month? First of all, the interview with Sununu was classic. And the the reading of his letter, I think the periods say it all. He does not support this idea. I guess not. (laughs) You know, uh, you know, Joe Biden would like nothing more than to skip New Hampshire altogether. That is clear. You know, he seems to have a little bit of a thin skin. He wants to, you know, go back to South Carolina where he won big. He Mm. wants to skip New Hampshire. Um, You know, I I do agree uh, with what was just said, which is the fact that Democrats are going to go forward with this plan they will likely strip new hampshire of delegates and and take other actions like that um you know they're willing to do that i think the big you know doesn't really matter on the democratic side if joe biden wins and runs and it looks like we're going to know that shortly after the state of the union but i think the bigger question is four years from now if they have a contested primary it's going to matter an awful lot to those candidates oh man matt gorman this is uh first of all an effort to as i mentioned increase diversity by getting the South Carolina before New Hampshire, which, again, uh, is a a very small, mostly white state. There have been concerns about presidential candidates being vetted by a population that doesn't represent the country. Right. But there's another side to looking at this also, uh, Matt, and that is the hundred year history that this state has had in helping to vet candidates with much more involvement and turnout than you're likely going to get in South Carolina. So what's the right call? 
Oh, I, I mean, I've been there up in New Hampshire on primary day. They take pride in this. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I also worked on I worked on Mitt Romney's campaign. I was there in 2012 when he won it, uh, uh, the New Hampshire primary. And let's remember here, uh, you know, they're taking away Iowa. I feel like that's almost a fait accompli right now. And they, they, their excuse was, well, the caucus system doesn't work. Yes, right. Uh, and, you know, and, and now it's, well, it's about diversity. It's not that South Carolina is not going to be able to vote. It's just going to actually get bumped up one in the process. I don't understand the need. Uh, it's just very needless and, in my opinion, kind of dumb to totally negate New Hampshire. Because let's, let's remember, too, New Hampshire and New Hampshire independents vote in the primary. So when you have all this free media, Republicans will still be going up there. I can guarantee you one of the lines of almost everybody that will campaign up there will, will say, when I'm president, yeah. I'm going to make sure that we never make sure that uh, New Hampshire is second to anybody first in the right. nation. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I remember being there. It was almost New Year's Day. Uh, I believe that was uh, 2008, right? It was January 8th. It was January 10th, four years later, because they don't fool around here. Uh, Matt, if you've spent some time up there at the Radisson on Elm Street in Manchester, you understand that this is the Super Bowl. This is actually a huge part of the economy uh, for them as well. Jeannie Shanzano, is New Hampshire being unfairly punished here? You know, I just have to say, I, I, I have to sort of, having been in Iowa four years ago, it was a disaster. So I know Matt may be <laughs> suggesting we go back to the caucus, but they'd really have to clean that mess up before I would think anybody would want to go back there. But, you know, we do, I think, lose some of the retail politics that New Hampshire is so famous for. Yeah. And again, I do think that becomes more of a problem when you have a bigger primary field, which, again, if Biden runs this time, we don't expect. But I also think in addition to racial diversity. Something else is at play here that's important about South Carolina. It has tended to be a much more moderate state, and the Democratic Party of Joe Biden in particular is, a, you know, that is the portion of the party, unlike the more progressive wing, that does not want, you know, these sort of um, uh, progressive sort of Bernie Sanders style types, AOC, to have control of the party. And they do have a awful lot of sway in the primaries. Mm -hmm. And that's another reason to move it to South Carolina. And I do think that makes sense because those progressives can't win in the general. So why give them so much sway in the primary? That is a real concern. And I would say should be a concern on the Republican side in the opposite direction. So do you guys actually see two separate primaries? Uh, Matt, the RNC is fine with the old schedule. They're already moving ahead with it. So we're going to go up there for Republicans and go back a month later, something for Democrats. Well, I guess what I don't understand is two well, two things. Uh, if you want to moderate it, you want the independents who will vote in a New Hampshire primary. Yes. They cross over. Uh, so you know, so that would help moderate it to your point and, and take the power out of you know the far left, to Jeannie's point. But also keep in mind, though, that you already kind of have t two different voting systems, uh, and you had that in Iowa. Remember that the, the Iowa caucus for Democrats, you're standing around a high school gym all night. You're going right. from – one group to the other group mm -hmm. republicans you're in and out it's basically it's basically a primary but they call it a caucus so you've already had these kind of dual tracks it might be not in the same state but how you vote among the two parties is drastically different i want you to listen uh to the the sort of concluding uh, thought here 
by Chris Sununu, who really seems to at least publicly think this is coming back around. I think it'll all work out in the end. I really do believe that, whether it's the Democrats making a big mistake this year and having to come back to reality next time, uh, or actually them getting, you know, coming to having their come to Jesus moment and saying, well, wait a minute, we've made a huge mistake here. Let's get everyone on board because the opportunity in New Hampshire is just too good. All right. Come to Jesus, Jeannie. Is Ryan Teague Beckwith right that this is already decided? Um, I think it is decided for this year. Certainly, John Sununu, he he may well be a candidate at some point in 24 or beyond. He would like New Hampshire to stay where it is. I also think the issue of cost is real here, and they talked about this a lot in Georgia. Two primaries is a lot of cost for a state to bear. Sure, they get a lot of money it in is, for yeah. these primaries, but I live in a state that has had multiple primaries, New York, and it is a disaster. It also asks an awful lot of people to go out multiple times, so I think if you can unify it, it's much better for the American public who's asked to vote far too much as it is. Matt, is it already decided? Yeah, this seems to be pretty baked. Um, But again, I mean, if you're going to do it, I guess, you know, there's less risk to do it in a year where Joe Biden is running as the incumbent as opposed to this for, you know, uh, four years ago or if he gets reelected four years from now and there's an open one. And that's going to be a lot different. Um, But, you know, look, I I think the economic uh, hit is going to be noticeable. You made a great point on that. There's going to be statistics, you know, in just a few months after how much they're in the hole, how much Manchester and other cities like Nashua lost in economic income. Yeah, Yeah. well, we'll have to put a sales tax back in. Hey, final thought here on the conversation with Chris Sununu. I asked him if he was going to run for president. He really didn't hold back. Well, some folks are talking about me, talking about it, and it's it's it's. I'm humbled and, and honored that folks would consider that. But um, I think right now my focus is on making sure folks realize how good our model here is in New Hampshire, how it could translate on a national level, and most importantly, where I think the Republicans are missing the boat is really talking to that next generation of voter, those independent yeah. younger voters that we want to build our team. Nobody ever answers the question like that. You're supposed to say you love your job now. So he's running. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So they can't find the leaker. We'll have more on this news from the Supreme Court today ahead on Bloomberg Sound On, brought to you by Innovation Refund. Your daily reminder here from Innovation Refunds, it's time to take advantage of the newly extended employee retention credit. Innovation Refunds has helped small and medium-sized businesses impacted by COVID claim over $2 billion in refunds, and they're standing by to help your business get back the money it may be eligible to receive. Learn more 
at GetRefunds.com. Incredible news today. Eight months later. How many interviews? 120-something. The Supreme Court is unable to identify the leaker. Remember? The person who leaked the draft opinion on Roe v. Wade. Let's bring you back a couple of months here. The day that actually happened, Mitch McConnell, Senate Minority Leader. This lawless action should be investigated and punished to the fullest extent possible. The fullest extent possible. I'm certain the Chief Justice will seek to get to the bottom of this. If a crime was committed, the Department of Justice must pursue it completely. Not that everyone saw this quite the same way. Here's Majority Leader Chuck Schumer on that same day. Well, the Supreme Court's, the Supreme Court's looking into that, but to compare a leak to taking away the rights of over 100 million women and saying the leak is more important, give me a break. <laughs> well, forget it. We know how that ended. Now in a 20-page report, the marshal of the Supreme Court, Gail Curley, says investigators examined the court's aging computer systems for clues. Interviewed, as I mentioned, it was actually 97 employees, all of whom denied disclosing the opinion. She said her team was still pursuing a few lines of inquiry, but little reason to think those might prove fruitful. Reading from Greg Storr's column on the terminal, and he joins us now, Bloomberg Supreme Court reporter. Uh, Greg, this could have gone to the FBI. They decided to handle this inside the family. Was that the wrong move? Well, it depends on what the goal was. You know, by keeping it inside the family, uh, they obviously kept control over it and they controlled who was interviewed and, and what the, these, those people were asked. Um, you, you know, the upshot, of course, is that they didn't find out who the leaker was. Um, maybe that would have been different had they gone out to the FBI. But, you know, this, this is a, a court that guards its, its rights and privileges uh, very seriously. And so it would have been an extraordinary step to say we need help from the executive branch of the government. As you write, the report does not say whether the justices themselves were interviewed. And I have to admit, Greg, as soon as I heard this headline and everybody said, oh, my God, we've got to call Greg Storr. I said, wait, they didn't after eight months. Maybe does, does that suggest that this was someone much higher up who might not have been part of this process? Well, it, it certainly it can't rule it out. Um, you know, I, I certainly don't want to be accusing a just, justice of, of doing it. Um, you know, there were a lot of this report talks about a lot of the the uh, disabilities that the investigators were were operating under, including the court's aging computer system that didn't let them kind of track everything that had happened within the system. So, for example, uh, they couldn't determine whether uh, anybody had emailed a copy of the draft opinion to an unauthorized person. The, the, oh, the wow. records just aren't there for that. Um, I'm by no means a computer guy. I would have thought that would have been an easy thing. I would have thought that almost any uh, organization would be able to tell if you know, one of their employees uh, sent out an email, but apparently uh, that's, that's not possible at the court. Not everyone has a terminal, Greg. Uh, <laughs> Curly said uh, a few people admitted to telling their spouses about the draft opinion uh, or the vote count, which is in violation of the court's strict confidentiality rules. Would people be punished for that? Uh, she didn't indicate whether they, they would be. Um, so we don't know, for example, whether they said in the course of the investigation, you know, look, we're not looking to punish you for that sort of thing. We're just trying to figure out whether you, you leaked. Uh, that's certainly a possibility. 
um, uh, you know, there, there's a lot that isn't said in this report about uh, exactly what they did, uh, how, how they went about the investigation. There, there's plenty in there, but plenty of unanswered questions. Interesting to learn from your reporting, uh, Greg. The court consulted Michael Chertoff, interesting, the former Secretary of Homeland Security, a former federal appeals court judge to assess the investigation. He said he could not identify any additional useful investigative measures. So this is done. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the report from Gail Curley uh, suggests the, the investigation is still open. She says there's a few other inquiries that we we're making, but really didn't give any reason to think that those were likely to be fruitful. Um, and given that Michael Chertoff, as, as you indicated, suggested he can't come up with anything else that they, that they should do, there's not a whole lot of reason to think that they're ever going to find the culprit unless he or she uh, decides to reveal themselves. Incredible. Greg, thanks for coming in on a breaking story. Greg Storr, Bloomberg Supreme Court reporter with us on Bloomberg Sound On. We turn to the panel for some quick insights on this. Jeannie Shanzano and Matt Gorman with us today of Targeted Victory uh, to bring both sides to this issue. Uh, Matt, this was a big one. I mean, this was this was a major deal to think that the, the, the leak like this, it had never happened before. Should it go to the FBI or do we just walk away from it? I think it certainly should have gone to the FBI when it happened. Uh, You know, I mean, I get it. You want to guard the uh, you want to guard the sovereignty of the court and the autonomy, if you will. But let's face it, if something like this happened and you couldn't get an answer at your workplace or other workplaces and it was serious enough, you would absolutely call in outside people. And and, and look, I got to be honest, too. They talk about Asian computer systems. You know, if they can't track, you know, emails going to a Gmail, how are they going to keep out the Chinese? How are they going to keep out foreign actors from hacking into this? You know, it uh, makes me a little scared for the future, too. Jeannie, if you're still with us, I'd love your thoughts on this, because to see this investigation after eight months conclude uh, with nothing, it does make you wonder about that call. It does. And, you know, I I do agree that I think there should be an investigation and I have long thought there should be an independent investigation. They did this internally. And by the way, Curley, Gail Curley, she is the marshal. She works under the justices. So that would be as if you are investigating your bosses that were not clear, as you mentioned, if they even questioned them. So that is a I think a mistake. Number one if and when you really want to get to the bottom of something, which leads us to conclude perhaps they don't really want to get to the bottom of it. But, you know, we're talking about the technological aspects. There's also the security aspects. We're talking about aging computer systems. We're also talking about justices like Kavanaugh who have been under attack by armed people at their homes. They've got to do a better job in the federal judiciary of securing everybody working their personnel and the materials that they're working with. So I thought this was a very devastating and very brief report for eight months. Boy, how about that? Statement from the former president, Donald J. Trump. Go to the reporter and ask him or her who it was. If not, given the answer, put whoever in jail until the answer is given. You might add the publisher and editor to the list. Sounds a lot like what he said at a rally the day this leaked. You take the writer. There it is. Because you're never going to find it. They're going through phone records. It's been a long time. You take the writer yep. and or the publisher of the paper. This political paper, actually, you know. No paper. And you say, who is the leaker? National security. And they say, we're not going to tell you. They say, it's okay, you're going to jail. 
And when this person realizes that he is going to be the bride of another prisoner very shortly. There we go. Okay, so it's a ma- it's a laugh say, line and an applause line. Matt Gorman, I'm pretty sure that would uh, not be legal, though. No, look, it, it would certainly uh, not work. Uh, it's against the law. And it also would make a martyr out of Josh Gerstein. And I think it would probably ensure that a lot more people lead to him. Uh, but look, I think also, uh, you know, this is a serious breach. And I think it really shows Republicans. Uh, I think this is going to be sticking their heads for quite a while. They're going to remember this. And, and in irrespective of the former president's uh, threat. Matt Gorman, Jeannie Shanzano, uh, fascinating conversation as ever. We'll straighten out our technical issues as we continue our conversation next with news, not from Capitol Hill on the debt ceiling, but Davos. The senator from West Virginia thinks he has a plan. He talked to David Weston about it. We'll bring the panel back and listen. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It was a smart call right around this time yesterday on this very broadcast. Maya McGinnis, who we turn to frequently on All Matters Budget from the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, floated the idea of solving this debt ceiling not with budget cuts, but with a fiscal commission that would promise to reform entitlements and reform spending when budget season comes next year. Remember this. I think there are a number of more moderate Republicans who will probably get really tired of this discussion if it continues to be around, there might be a default. But would be really pleased if the discussion is, we need to do something to control spending or put in place a fiscal commission or something more reasonable. And so I think they have to figure that out first amongst Mm -hmm. themselves. Maybe Joe Manchin was listening. Yes, the senator from West Virginia, not here in Washington, but in Davos, dancing through the snow with David Weston in an exclusive interview this morning floated a very similar idea. He says he's already working on it. I'd like to see, really, truly, uh, a coalition of a bipartisan, bicameral, Democrats and Republicans, putting a group together that says we're going to look at all the trust funds to find out the deficiencies, when they're going to be insolvent, and what we can do to prevent that. And then, basically, have a piece of legislation that we're saying, okay, we will make this deal, we'll raise the debt ceiling, if you allow us to have give the American public a look of what we're dealing with and the recommendations we'll make and have a vote on the floor, whether it goes up or not, but at least it identifies it's serious. But is there an appetite for it? Would it even work? What happens next door in the House? What would Joe Biden say? These are questions for the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano is joined today by Matt Gorman, vice president at Targeted Victory, former NRCC comms director. Uh, Matt, I'd love to start with you on this idea here. It's Republican holdouts in the House that make this seem unlikely to some. I mean, we talked about this yesterday. Congressman Andy Biggs, he said, you know, let it default. That's the Democrats' fault. They made their bed, let them lie in it. So how would something like this get through the House at all? I I think the first step is you got to hope that everybody forgets where we were 10 years ago. This is the Super Committee 2.0, if you remember that, in the summer of 2011, where this is mm-hmm. exactly what Super happened. Committee. And they were, and, and this was never, uh, this never came to pass because the, they even attached automatic spending cuts, a sequester, and they still didn't do anything. So a commission with no, you know, actual teeth to it, there's no way that gets that gets done. Even what if it has become teeth? law, which I don't, which I don't think. Well, what, what teeth would it be? Another sequester? We've already went through that. Uh, I just don't see this becoming law, or if it does, 
actually affecting anything. Would it end up in another sequester, Jeannie? I'm having like, all these dreams, all these nightmares are coming back to us now. Yeah, they are more like nightmares, <laughs> to be sure. Yes. Um, you know, Manchin is talking about, you know, a sort of waxing poetical about Simpson Bowles. But the, you know, and I do give him credit for thinking more positively about potential solutions than a lot of what we've heard out of Congress, that's for sure, and about reaching across the aisle. But the reality is Simpson Bowles failed, and it failed miserably. Why? Because the spending cuts weren't, you know, the left wouldn't go with those, Mm -hmm. and the right wouldn't go with the increases needed. It sank. And does anybody really believe that in 2023 we are in a position to see the far right and the far left come together on something like this with as narrow a majority <laughs> as Republicans have? So as much as I give them credit for trying to push forward the idea of a bipartisan anything, that the reality is tying together the lifting or suspension of the debt ceiling with spending is a non-starter. That is the reality. You've got to pay your bills. Then you have to have a discussion about spending. Senator Manchin uh, was asked by David Weston, of course, about the House and his alliances there. And I'm hoping that Kevin, I'm, I'm, I don't think I can tell Kevin McCarthy right now, whatever I can do to help you and work with you, I want you to succeed. We have, well, I want successful two years. And how can we work? Let's find the things that we can agree on and start working on them. Matt, I know Joe Manchin is is popular with some Republicans, but but he, is he getting an invite from Kevin McCarthy? Does Kevin McCarthy care what a senator thinks right now? Uh, no. Remember, that's like the old saying, uh, Democrats uh, are the opposition, the Senate's the enemy. <laughs> that old saying from the 20th <laughs> right. century. And, and let's remember here, too, um, Manchin has it in his own incentive to cozy up to McCarthy because he's running ostensibly for re-election in the ruby red state of West Virginia in 2024. If he wants a chance, cannot be seen as uh, being too far left. Hmm. So what's your gut then at this point, Matt Gorman? What happens with this Republican caucus and this debt ceiling issue? Could it mean the end of Kevin McCarthy's speakership? Uh, you know, I don't think so. I hope not. Uh, I think no matter what, Republicans, if they stay united uh, on no on no raising the debt ceiling without any spending cuts, especially those 18 Republicans in Biden won districts, that's going to say a lot because we've already started seeing splintering among Democrats. But if those 18 folks start getting a little wobbly, that's when, you know, Joe Biden has that uh, hot hand. Interesting. Can't offer any more chairmanships, Jeannie. I think that ship has sailed. Yeah, those have all been doled out. And, you know, some of us have sort of taken bets to see how many speakers the Republicans have this year. Because let's not forget, we are, what, three weeks in and we are talking in a serious discussion about whether he survives this. It is a very serious question. And he cannot afford to lose anybody. And we can see by who he appointed, who he is beholden to. And what the White House is betting on is that Republicans have been on the losing end politically of every one of these fights. I'm in New York. The Republican moderates elected here who gave the Republicans the House. Can they really afford to let the United States government default because they are unwilling to take the simple task of raising the debt ceiling and then having discussion about spending? The White House is banking on the fact that they can't. I don't know if they can or cannot, but that's what the politics of this thing are. How many speakers were going to have this? But this is incredible. Matt, if if Kevin McCarthy was, in fact, uh, removed from the position, motion to vacate, how dare you make a deal? 
you double-crossed us. Wouldn't that scare any serious contender away? I mean, Steve Scalise would would rather just keep the job he has right now, I'm guessing. You know, well, let, let me just back up for a second, because I will say this. I'll give, we'll give Kevin some credit. I give him a lot of credit, because remember, when about Thursday of that speaker's vote, he went on late Friday night. That Thursday, early Friday morning, people, a lot of people in this town were saying, He's dead in the water. He's, when is it going to be time for him to bow out? And look what he did. So he's a canny political operator who's smarter than a lot of people in this town give him credit for. And you know what? The biggest uh, trait that he has that a lot of people don't know about, the guy is patient. He waited and waited and was very patient with the speaker's vote. He knows, I don't need to solve this today. I don't need to solve this tomorrow. We have some time still. And he's going to wait it out and he'll be patient. Watch for that. And you know they're going to use all of the time allotted, Jeannie. Nothing will get this done until, as we did yesterday, we fire up the doomsday clock. That's right. So I think, you know, all the people on the Bloomberg team, all these congressional reporters, Ugh. their summer may, and I'm sorry, Joe Matthew, to say this, that your summer <laughs> may not be as fun as you and your family hope. <laughs> you may be sitting in Congress waiting for this thing to be resolved. Hey, don't you point at me. You're going <laughs> to be on this broadcast every day as well. Jeannie oh. Shanceno and Matt Gorman, our great panel today, are going to be back with a couple of final thoughts. As uh, President Biden heads to California, is working the Central Coast today, touring areas devastated by storms and wildfires, and it brings back memories to when Donald Trump did the very same thing. We'll compare the two ahead. On the Fastest Hour in Politics, I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. This is your daily reminder from Innovation Refunds. Your small to medium-sized business could be missing out on an opportunity to claim the employee retention credit. Innovation Refunds has helped thousands of small and medium-sized businesses claim over $2 billion in ERC refunds. May be able to help yours, too. Learn more at GetRefunds.com. Dot com. As we told you, President Biden making tracks today, well, flying, in fact, to California. He's out there meeting up with uh, Governor Gavin Newsom to tour areas that have just been devastated by, by flooding, by wildfires and wild storms. There was a gaggle on Air Force One, no briefing at the actual White House today. Principal Deputy Press Secretary Olivia Dalton on the jet. Last night, as you may have seen, the president authorized additional disaster assistance by increasing the federal share for debris removal and emergency protective measures to 100% of the total eligible costs for 60 days. The FEMA administrator on the plane as well. The president has been uh, touring the area on the ground and by helicopter 
uh, and is going to be speaking, in fact, a little bit later on following his meetings with uh, the governor here. Let's reassemble the panel for a couple of final thoughts. Jeannie Shanzano and Matt Gorman are with us. Jeannie, we've said it before. This is what uh, Joe Biden does pretty well. It is. And California, a billion dollars in damage. I mean, the tremendous rainstorms they have had, the damage has been dramatic. This is what he does. It certainly allows him to get away from the chaos in Washington, D.C. I think my favorite part of this was the fact that he invited Kevin McCarthy and Kevin McCarthy declined to go. (laughs) That would have been fun. You know, another Ron DeSantis, (laughs) you know, sort of style visit. But it's important that he's out there and it's a state that's friendly to him. And of course, he needs in 24. You know, Matt, if they if Kevin McCarthy had taken the invitation, they could have had his debt ceiling hammered out by the time they got there. <laughs> that would have been a heck of a uh, plane ride to be a fly on the wall if that was no the case. Doubt. Yeah, you know, and, and, and looking cynically, you know, a little bit, you know, these do help uh, politically, right? Uh, you know, you see certainly Florida governors when it comes to hurricane time, like DeSantis, That's right. all the way back to Jeb Bush, my old boss, uh, you know, whether it's also uh, President Obama, Chris Christie with Hurricane Sandy, uh, there is a political element to this, let's be honest. And so I'd be curious to see what its approval ratings are for the week or two. Hmm. Interesting. I want to bring you back with that in mind to November of 2018, when Donald Trump took the very same trip, got on Air Force One, went out to California, see Gavin Newsom, tour areas that were devastated by wildfires. And the advice that he had, of course, he had advice. I'm assuming Joe Biden will not. Maybe we'll hear in the speech. But uh, he was a regular smoky bear. Better take care of the floors, you know, the floors of the forests. Very important. You look at other countries where they do it differently, and, and it's a whole different story. I was with the president of Finland, and he said, we have uh, a much different, we're a forest nation. He called it a forest nation. And they spent a lot of time on raking and cleaning and doing raking. things, and raking. they don't have any problem. And when it is, it's a very small problem. You know, this could have been a whole different career for him, Jeannie. He talked about how we need to rake the forests. We're actually going to go out, we're going to rake the woods to keep the uh, the forest fires from happening. Has that been done? Not as far as I know. God bless him. We miss him terribly. Maybe he'll be back in 24. You play these things. I forget that they even you forget happen. How fun it was, didn't you? Breaking Boy. the forest management, Matt. Uh, who knew? Yeah, can we pay the kids around the block to rake the forest like they do the leaves? Would that work? <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Thank you both for having a sense of humor, or at least humoring me. Matt Gorman, great to have you, Matt. Vice President at Targeted Victory. Jeannie Shanzano, of course, a member of the family here, Democratic analyst. Bloomberg politics contributor. As we leave you with news that we learned during this broadcast, I couldn't believe it when Nancy Lyon said this. Trying to keep it together for the hour. David Crosby has died. He was 81. Two-time Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee after a long illness. According to his wife in a statement in Variety, we remember David Crosby on the fastest hour in politics. I'll see you back here tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Well, I came upon the child of God. He was walking along the road. And I asked him, tell me, where are you going? Mr. Kobe. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, 
data-powered transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio.